we are gonna we're gonna get started tonight. Why don't we stand and just start with a word of prayer? If you know anybody that needs a touch from the Lord, anybody that is sick or in need, why don't you call their name out tonight? Lord, we love you. We thank you, God, for this time together. We thank you, Lord, for the word. And for God, for all that you're doing for us, we thank you for your amazing, your amazing goodness to us, God. All that you're doing in our life, God. The Lord, the start of this year and the, the beginning, the things that you're beginning to do in our midst, God, we thank you for it. We thank you for the prayers that you've already answered and for those that we know are, are on their way. The answer's on the way. We thank you for it, God. Lord, I pray tonight that you would just use this time together, Lord. Use our time that we're that we're here tonight god that we can learn of you god that we can study your word let it minister to each one of us tonight help us in all that we're doing god we thank you for it we pray all this in jesus name amen, amen. all right well you may be seated tonight cold <laughs> man i'm gonna have to turn the heat on for sunday <laughs> There you go. Uh, well, we're going to uh, uh, start some new, uh, uh, a new topic here tonight. We're uh, we're gonna still gonna use the Bible. <laughs> Not changing the topic that much. <laughs> Just gonna kind of change our focus a little bit. And found a, a, a series that I want to. I want to teach a few lessons out on. It's called God's School of Hard Knocks. Anybody ever been through the School of Hard Knocks? We all we all go through that um, at times, and uh, sometimes it's just not fun. But sometimes that's the best way to learn something. And uh, tonight we're going to start out uh, the, the lesson titled uh, King. We're just going to jump right in here tonight. Um, Michelangelo's masterpiece, David, is enshrined at the Galleria dell'Accademia in Florence, Italy. How do you like that? I, I even got that pretty good. I practiced. And thousands of tourists wait every or wait for hours every day just to get a glimpse of that of that sculpture. But many of them hardly notice the series of unfinished sculptures that line the corridor on the way to the sculpture of David. Uh, like petrified prisoners, their forms are identifiable. There's a hand here, a torso there, a protruding leg or part of a head. The statues were intended to adorn the tomb of Pope Julius II but they are non-finiti. In other words, they're not finished. Amen. Here again, I'm practicing that little, you know, foreign, foreign lingo there. Um, it's almost as if these sculptures are trying to break free and become what they were intended to be. But they're stuck in stone. Michelangelo called them the captives. And they are captives precisely because they did not remove or receive enough chiseling from the master. 
What a parallel that is to our spiritual lives, and we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. Luke 4 and 18 tells us, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. So in his first sermon... Jesus stated his mission in no uncertain terms. It's to set captives free. Now, we tend to think of that statement in setting captives free in, in judicial terms. We always think about people getting, you know, let, let out of prison or sentences waived and all of that. Um, you know, and, and we kind of treat salvation like our get-out-of-jail-free card. But it's much more than that. Maybe if we, if we think about that statement in artistic terms, we'll see a little different meaning to it. Jesus didn't die just to get us off the hook. He also died to resurrect the person we were destined to be before sin distorted the image of God in us. God had a plan for every one of us before sin came into the world and, and changed it all. And so when God said that he came to set the captives free, he came to fulfill what he intended and to set you free from what sin had done. Jesus doesn't just set us free spiritually. He also sets us free emotionally, relationally, and intellectually. We're, we're as, as humans, we're held captive by so many things. Imperfections, insecurities, guilt, anxiety, expectations, lies, mistakes. But Jesus died to set us free from all of these things. And I want us to take a look at it because he doesn't just set us free from who we were. He sets us free to become who we were meant to be. You know, we, we there's that children's song that I mentioned before, you know, he's still working on me. Well, he is because he's still trying to get me to the point. He's, he's like that, that master sculptor that's there still chiseling away at Mark saying there's some, there's some more that needs to come off of here to make you right. Amen. And I'll be the first one to admit that I'm not totally right. <laughs> Don't say amen. <laughs> See, y'all were good on that too. Um, salvation is, is not the end goal. Salvation really is a beginning place. That's where, that's where God begins because when we experience the new birth, that's when God goes to work chipping away at us and, and removing things. He begins using our circumstances, no matter what they may be, to chisel us into his image and to set us free from ourselves. You know, I, I heard the story years ago about a uh, you know, a sculptor, and he was there, and he's exhibiting this masterpiece, and someone was, was talking to him about it and saying, you know, 
Oh, I can't believe you you took this piece of stone and, and you you know you shaped this masterpiece in there. And he said, No, I didn't shape this masterpiece in there. He said, The masterpiece was in there all along. I just took away everything that wasn't a part of the masterpiece. That's what God's doing with you and I. The masterpiece already exists within us. And God's saying, let me get rid of these other things that are clouding it, uh, it up and, and, and causing it to, to not appear the way that, that I formed it to be. You know, you can call yourself a Christian and still be held captive by many things. And this usually happens because just like Mike, Michelangelo's captives, we abort the master's chiseling. We decide that the circumstances or the curriculum in God's school of hard knocks is a little too intensive, it's a little too intrusive, it's a little too invasive. Anybody ever been there? Mm -hmm. Sometimes you're in the school of hard knocks and you're going, all right, God, that's enough. I can't take any more. I've been there. And, and you know, God knows when, when that is. He knows us better than ourselves. And when those times come, just like the masters of the sculptures, they'll back off and they'll either give it a rest or they'll go over and they'll work on another area. The, the lessons in God's school are not always what we expect. In fact, he often develops his character in us by allowing us to experience circumstances where we're tempted to express the opposite quality. I want you to think about that for a minute. That brings us to the, to the subject of our study. There was a, a young man in the Bible named David whose life was an open book to God. And much later, through the scripture, especially in Psalms, his life became an open book to all of us. Acts 13, 21 and, 21, to, uh, uh, 21 and 22 tells us, And afterward they desired a king. God gave unto them Saul, the son of Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. But before we can ever be introduced to David, we first have to be introduced to a man by the name of Saul. See, David shows us how to do it, and Saul shows us how not to do it. Sometimes I like to see how not to do something. I, people, you know, they always tease me being the baby of the family and they say, oh, you never got in trouble. Your parents were easy on you. You never got whippings. Well, that's because I had three older siblings that I saw make mistakes that made them get whippings. <laughs> and I was smart enough to learn from them, huh, don't do that. They don't like that. <laughs> that doesn't work. Let's not try that in looking at Saul's life, that's what we get to see, is we see how not to do it, 
And it makes learning how to do it a whole lot easier. For David, letting God work on his heart was a lifetime decision. But Saul decided to drop out of school, if you will, only a few years into his reign. A few uh, highlights about Saul. Saul's son, Jonathan, had attacked a Philistine, Philistine garrison in Geba. The Philistines gathered an army of 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horse, horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude to fight. That was a big army. Israel had no blacksmiths to make weapons. Only the Philistines had those. So only Saul and Jonathan had sword and spear. Israel was fighting with farming implements. Can you imagine that? I, I, I thought about that as I was studying today. I thought about, you know, going to war with rakes and hoes. A shovel here and there, you know. And, and the armies over there with their, you know, their AKs and their ARs and, you know, whatever they have now. You know. All of the... the, the laser-guided, GPS-guided, you know, all this stuff, and you're there with shovels and rakes and hoes. No, uh, you know, it, it's no surprise the Israelites scattered in fear until Saul is left with only 600 men. And the prophet Samuel decides that he hasn't, or that, that he's going to, wait just a little bit. He hasn't shown up yet uh, at Gilgal to make the sacrifice that Israel wanted him to come make. Mm -hmm. And so that's when Saul offered up his own sacrifice and his impatience. 1 Samuel 13 verses 13 and 14 tell us, And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. See, God knew that he could sit on the throne in David's heart, but Saul sat on the throne of his own heart. He was one of those people that, you know, if things weren't going just the way he thought they would, he was going to do it his way. He is the ultimate, make me king and I'll show you how it's done. The, the king me mentality, who thinks that he can please God by doing what he thinks is best, instead of what God commands. Saul is being uh, weighed in the balances over the next few years of his reign because God is giving him time to choose which way he will go. God was, God was patient even with Saul. And he gave him time to see, you know, hey, listen, are you going to turn? Are you going to, you know, I'll, I'll give you an opportunity. He knew that he wouldn't, but he, he gave him that opportunity. You know, the ultimate test 
of obedience is what you do with the commands of God that you don't understand. You know, it's, it's one thing when, you know, we're facing a situation and God says, well, hey, go do this and we're going. Yeah, man, I knew that's what God was going to say. I knew that's the way this was going to be solved. And we agree perfectly with God. Man, that's easy to be obedient then. But what about when, you know, when you're facing that, that, that other situation and, and you're thinking, well, you know, God's going to go this way. God tells you to go completely opposite. And you're going, God, that doesn't make any sense. I don't know how that's going to happen. And, you know, man, that's, I'm just, God, I, I'm not in any position to do that. That, that just that rubs me the wrong way. You know, I, I don't like that. Can you still be obedient during those times? That's, that's the true test. When, when God puts us in a situation where we have to do something that's contrary to what we think. Like it or not, we all like to be right. And, and more often than not, we as human beings think that we know what's best. And I'm including myself in that, okay? I'm not, I'm not just pointing fingers. There's, there's been a lot of times where, you know, people going through situations or whatever, and, and you know, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be talking to Jennifer, and, and I'll say, you know, if they just do this, you know, I don't know why in the world they just won't go and do that, 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 that. If they just do this, everything would be all right. And then, man, inevitably, within a day or two, God comes and taps me on the shoulder and says, Really? You think you got it all figured out? I didn't tell you that was the way to do it. You need to keep your mouth shut. Let me work on it. I've got a way to fix this. And man, I tell you, that's tough. It's like, okay, God, I'll back off. And, you know, that's, that's, when, it's, uh, that, that's when it's really interesting to see who can be obedient to God. <clears throat> see, and that's a crisis point. For Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 15, 1 through 3 tells us, Samuel said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people over Israel. Now therefore, hearken unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him and the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not. But slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. I mean, God said, wipe them all out. Don't spare anything or anybody. See, the Amalekites had been a, a, a fierce adversary of Israel for 400 years. They had fought against them and caused them, you know, I mean, we, we like to think of somebody like that as being a thorn in the flesh or a thorn in the side. No, 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 they were, they were more than that. They were, their, they, they were that bully that, you know, met them every day on the playground threatening to beat them, beat them up and take their lunch money. And most of the time they did. They were the adversaries for 400 years. God said to destroy them completely, but, you know, 
Saul cho chose to do things his own way. And he spared the best and all that was good in his eyes. That's what, that's what he said. That's what he told Samuel. He said, you know, if I, if I spare this, then I can offer this as a sacrifice to God. So let me just do that. You know, that, that'll be better than what God said. Man, this is, this is one that, that I learned a long time ago. And that is partial obedience is still disobedience. You have to be obedient. If God says, you know, I, you know, I mean, I don't know, you pick whatever it is God tells you to do. If God says to do that, you can't just be partial on it. God expects you to follow his command, follow what he says. If you'll do it, then that's obedience, and he blesses it. But if you're partial with your obedience, it's still disobedient. You know, I was, as a, as a kid, I was terrible about my clothes had a place to be. And it was wherever I put them. On the floor, on the bed, in the closet, in the, on the dresser, on the you know little table at the end of the bed. Wherever I laid them, that was the place they were supposed to be. And my, my, my mom in particular, she had a different thought about them. She thought that there was another place they were supposed to be. And she would, you know, she would come and tell me, hey, I don't care what you're doing, stop and clean up this room. Pick up your clothes, put them in the dirty clothes, put them where they go, do it. And I always thought that, well, all she really wants is for me to clean up the room, so I'll get around to it. Well, she'd come back in, you know, 30 minutes, and I'm still doing what I was doing. Needless to say, she was not very pleased. Because my partial obedience, I had every intention of cleaning up the room, but I just didn't want to do it right then. But she said, do it now. And so full obedience would have been, okay, let me get up and take care of this, and then I can go back to what I was doing. I found out real quick, partial obedience <laughs> is still disobedience. And disobedience, let me just clue you in, does not bring blessing. Anybody here ever learned that lesson? <laughs> 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23. Samuel said, Had the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Just a side note here. That scripture as I was reading it, it kind of jumped out at me. And, 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 you know, here again, that's one of those things that just kind of stepped on my toes a little bit. How many of you have ever have ever used the last portion of that scripture there? For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. I've used that in preaching. But I always stop there. 
Let's see if it goes on. It says, and stubbornness. Oh, ow, that hurts. God, I can't be stubborn? No, you've got to be yielded to me. Is there anybody here that, that you'll admit you can be stubborn? <laughs> I can't. Man, that just stepped on my toes, and I'm like, wow. Same as iniquity and idolatry. Wow. <clears throat> the Lord continues on, or Samuel continues on uh, with what the Lord had told him. In verse 27, it says, And as Samuel turned about to go away, he laid hold, uh, talking about Saul, laid hold on the skirt of his mantle, and it rent. And Samuel said unto him, the Lord has hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent. Talking about God there. For he is not a man that he should repent. Then he said, I have sinned. Listen to the arrogance in Saul's comment here. He admits, I have sinned. Colon. And then he goes into another thought. He says, Yet honor me now, I pray, uh, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. Man, what, what kind of arrogance is that? He knew that God was displeased with him. He, had, he knew that he was in a sinful state. And his response was, instead of saying, you know, pray to God that he'll forgive me, none of that. He said, listen, I'm worried about what the people think of me as king, so don't leave. I want you to go with me. I want you to turn and go with me as I go to make a sacrifice to your God. He didn't even call him his God. Mm. I'll tell you, what arrogance. Bible says, so Samuel turned again after Saul, and Saul worshipped the Lord. <laughs> Honor me now before Israel. That's been Saul's problem from the beginning. He's more concerned about his image before others than he is about his heart before God. See, by the midpoint of, of Saul's reign, Saul's totally rejected God's chiseling in his life. And so, God has totally rejected Saul and left him as one of those captives that we talked about at the beginning. To his insecurities, to his rebellion, to his fears, and to himself. Saul spends the next 20 years resenting his lost opportunities and resenting David for taking advantages or advantage of his own opportunities. You see, God doesn't end up destroying Saul. Saul destroys Saul. And if we're not careful, we can be our own worst enemy. We can end up doing things through our stubbornness, through our rebellion, through our, our partial obedience. All of these things that end up destroying us instead of allowing God to, to work and to, to chisel away at us and, and clean some things up on us and, and, and allow us to become what he wants us to be 
so that his blessings can flow freely into our lives. In A.D. 1464, members of an influential Italian guild contracted with a sculptor named Agostino de Ducio to create a sculpture of David for the Cathedral of Santa Maria del Fiore. A massive block of marble was provided from a quarry in northern Tuscany, and the work began. However, Agostino only got as far as beginning to shape the legs, the feet, and torso before abandon, abandoning the project. The block of marble remained essentially neglected for more than 35 years, while all the while it was exposed to the elements outside the cathedral. In A.D. 1500, an inventory of the cathedral property described the piece as a certain figure of marble called David, badly blocked out and supine. It seemed that David was destined to join the ranks of unfinished, captive statues forever. Then in A.D. 1501, this 18-foot block of stone, which the citizen simply called the giant was raised on its feet and a search began in earnest to find an artist who could take this large piece of marble and turn it into a finished work of art. Although Leonardo da Vinci and other master artists were consulted, it was Michelangelo, only 26 years old, who convinced the officials that he, he deserved the commission. And so on August the 16th, 1501, Michelangelo was given the official contract to undertake this challenging new task. And he began carving the statue just a few weeks later. What was his first task? It's documented that on September 9th, 1501, he knocked off a certain knot as what they had uh, named it, that previous sculpture had seen as a fatal flaw in the marble. But Michelangelo saw how the defect could be removed to allow the beauty underneath to show through. If only a master artist applied the chisel. Michelangelo would work on his massive biblical hero for more than two years chiseling a seemingly worthless stone into what many consider today to be the greatest statue ever sculpted by human hands. The young artist saw something in that stone that others did not. He called it the Imagining del Cure, or image of the heart. All he had to do was remove the excess stone so David could escape. He didn't see what was, he saw what could be, a masterpiece. And that is exactly how God sees you and I. Not as what we are today, but the potential of what we can be if we will just let him work in us.
Mm. Today, the highlights of the Galleria dell'Accademia in Florence, Italy, is not Michelangelo's captives, but Michelangelo's David. It's one of the most recognized works of art in the entire world, which just goes to show you what can happen when the master is allowed to finish his chisel. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 tell us, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in him. In them, I'm sorry. As we said earlier, before we can ever be introduced to David, we must be introduced to Saul. They were different, or they were different in many, many ways, but in almost every area of comparison, Saul had the advantage. So in the final analysis, the only difference that mattered was that Saul rejected the chiseling of the master sculptor while David welcomed it. 2 Samuel chapter 1, verses 5 through 10 tell us, David said unto the young man that told him, How knowest thou that Saul and Jonathan his son be dead? The young man that told him said, As I happened by chance upon Mount Gilboa, behold, Saul leaned upon his spear, and lo, the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. And when he looked behind him, he saw me and called unto me. And I answered, Here am I. And he said unto me, Who art thou? And I answered him, I'm an Amalekite. He said unto me, Stand, I pray thee, upon me and slay me, for anguish has come upon me, because my life is yet whole in me. So I stood upon him and slew him, because I was sure that he could not live after that he was fallen. And I took the crown that was upon his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and have brought them hither unto my Lord. You see, it's interesting in the life of Saul that what Saul refused to kill eventually killed him. Mm -hmm. That same group of Amalekites that God said wipe them all out and date or Saul decided to spare a few. The best when it came time Saul was there and he, he was looking for someone to finish him off so that the enemy didn't get a hold of him. And it just so happened that it was an Amalekite that did that. Listen, God knows us. God knows our, our lives and our situations. And sometimes what we're going through doesn't make sense to us. Sometimes other people look at our lives and they're going to say, oh, oh that, that can never be dealt with. That's going to be the thing that destroys you. I'm sure we've all heard someone talking about someone and saying, you know, that person, you know, that the, 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 the drugs are going to be the death of them. Listen, let the master work his work and see how God turns all that around. I, I heard a, an absolute beautiful testimony of, of uh, uh, 
a young man and his, uh, his now wife up in uh, the church in Bellevue that they were both absolutely strung out on drugs. Anybody that saw them would say, oh, they, they're, they're useless. There's no way, there's, you know, God's not going to make anything out of them. It just took one simple intervention. God, God sending a, a man of God his way just to talk to him, inviting the church. God changed his life, delivered him, turned him around. Uh, him and his, his then girlfriend, now wife, they, they got married. They're, they're living for God. And they are, according to the pastor of the church there, they are one of the absolute best soul winners that that church has ever seen. Something that the world would look out and, and, and we would look at and say, oh, there's no hope for them. That's, you know, they're, they're useless. You know, they're just strung out on drugs. Drugs got their claws in them. They can't get away from that. They can't ever make anything. Their life is destroyed. They've ruined it. They've burnt their minds out on drugs. We, we've all heard that, right? <laughs> you know, heard, heard people talk about that. Listen, when the master gets a hold of it, he can make something perfect and beautiful out of what others see as flawed and, and not usable. But we have to allow the master to continue to work on us and to make us into what it is that he wants to make us. We, uh, as we close tonight, I want to just... I, I want to throw out a few questions, and maybe we can maybe we can just have a little bit of discussion. We've still got 15, 20 minutes here. Um, talk, I, I want us to talk a little bit about uh, tonight about some some of the situations that you've maybe you have observed where where Christians seem to be still be held captive to something that keeps them from being everything. God intends for them to be. You, you, you ever see that? <laughs> you know, a lot of times we, we like to look at the, the here and now, but a lot of times some of the things that still hold us captive are things past. You know, Oh yeah, yeah. I'm serving God now, but you know, I mean, I, I can't, I can't do that, Pastor. I, I, I can't, I can't do this for God because you, you know where I was, you know, and you, you know what I used to be. And man, they let those things hold them captive. I was gonna, absolutely. I think that sometimes it's not the sins of our past, maybe, but our own insecurity, like God, really, that's I'm supposed to do that, or I'm supposed to say that, or I'm supposed to. Because I think sometimes we don't see ourselves the way God sees us. And so we look at ourselves through the lens of our past or our mistakes or our humanity. And God says, no, that's, that's not who I see. And will you ever understand what I see in you? It's, it's the identity that God sees in us. And sometimes I think we get hung up on just 
don't know, our own humanity, just, just not maybe having the security in, in ourselves and in him yep. to, to do all that he wants us to do. Our, our insecurities can be terrible hindrances in our life. You know, I mean, you look at, at uh, you know, at, at the people in the Bible that God used, and a lot of them dealt with insecurities. God, I can't do that. Who am I to do that, God? You know, choose somebody else, you know. And they, they no, I can't do that, or, or, or my past, or, or I don't have the ability, or I don't have this, or I can't. All, all these, all the, we call them excuses, but really they are, they're insecurities, or what they are. And how many times in, in church do we have people that are dealing with insecurities, and, you know, they don't feel like I'm, I'm good enough, or that I'm talented enough, or that I can, you know, Remember when I shared with you after service about Mo, with Moses? Yeah. It was a perfect example. I, said, I asked the pastor, because he, he was preaching on something in general, and he just, which we all think this. We're like, oh, you know, Moses said he couldn't talk right. Yeah. And we all think, oh, he had us something. Well, I said to him, I said, who told us that? Moses. Yeah. But when you read the scripture of what the Word of God says about Moses, was that he was educated in Egypt and was mighty in knowledge and words. <laughs> so you gotta go, that's what God said Moses was. Moses was the one making the excuse and saying, why well, can't you say I'm not good enough? Yeah. yeah. So that's well, what we yeah. do. Good. That's right. Yeah, that's true. You know, I mean, uh, that, that I, I always like to go back and, and look at the man that's you know hiding behind the wine press. <laughs> and you know, the angel of the Lord comes and says, Thou mighty man of valor. Yeah. Where? <laughs> <laughs> Shh, be quiet, they'll find out I'm here. <laughs> you know. That's what we do. Our insecurities. We look at who we are and, and you know, we understand ourselves. And we're going to get into this in a, in a few weeks, but there, there are things that we need to realize that God sees in us that we don't see in us and others don't see in us. But God sees them because he put them there. And so when, when God is, you know, is, is dealing with you and, and kind of leading you in some areas that you're uncomfortable with, listen, God knows what he put in you. And just because you haven't seen it or others haven't seen it doesn't mean it's not there. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of things that, that, you know, that hinder us. And God's, you know, God wants us to trust him. We, we always talk about trusting God and having faith and all. But it's hard when, when it's us. You know, I... God, you want me to trust you about me? Well, I, I know me. Evidently, I don't know me. I don't know me the way God knows me. And I see me through insecurities. I see me through, you know, fears and, and, and things that are, are, have clouded my judgment because of past responses, past situation, past events. And so do you. Your, your life growing up. It, it, and we're going to talk about some of these things in future weeks here.
but it, it was interesting. There was a there was a study that was done, and they said that that the way a child is in the second or third grade is going to determine how they interact in society in their adult years. And we'll 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 go into a little bit of that and, and share that because you think about it, you know, second or third grade. Were, were you the playground bully or were you the, the one on the playground that was getting bullied? Or, or you know, how did you interact? What was, what was going on? What was your life? What were your, your situations? Did you, you know, did you hate to go to school because you, you, know, you, were the, you, know, you weren't as smart as the others? You, know, you weren't as quick at you know, calling out a, a, an answer as, as you know, Susie over there. It's always the girls that were smart. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, um, you know, those things impact us, and they, 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 bring, they, they make an impression in our life, and that impression sticks. And so as we get older and, and you know, we start worrying about insecurities, and you know what? Everybody has insecurities. Thank God they're not all the same. But none of us are, are fully comfortable in doing, you know, everything. We all have areas that, you know, if there's probably, oh, I don't know, there's probably half of you here tonight that, you know, if I said, you know what, um, we've got this event that's coming up and, you know, there's going to be, you know, five, six hundred people there. I want you to get up and give your testimony there. Man, I can't do it, Pastor. No, I'm not going. I'm sick that night. I haven't even told you what it is. I'm going to be sick that night. <laughs> we haven't, people are insecure about, you know, talking in front of crowds. My dad absolutely cannot do it. And, you know, I mean, He's tried to overcome it. I remember at my, my parents' 50th wedding anniversary, the party that they had for him. Mom had written this, you know, little poem and or, you know, this little thing that she read about him. And um, Dad just told her, he said, listen, I, I'm not getting up. I can't do it. I absolutely can't. He said, I'll, I'll have somebody else read something. I'll, I'll do something. But I can't do it. And he, he just can't. There's, there's those, those insecurities, those fears about those things. I, you know, if, if, if God told me that I had to go down into a cave and rescue somebody, <laughs> I think you picked the wrong person, God. <laughs> I'm not a little bit claustrophobic. I'm a lot claustrophobic. I can't crawl under, you know, uh, under these crawl spaces, under houses. Uh, I, I can go in a little way, but as soon as I can't see the exit, <laughs> all bets are off. I'm done. Call the fire department. Somebody's got to drag me out. <laughs> and, and we all have these things. We have our, our fears and our insecurities. But listen, God knows you. And God, even in our insecurities, God can chip those things away. In our fears, he can remove those things. 
I don't want us to ever feel like I can't. Listen, if God, if he asks us or instructs us to do something, it's because he knows that, yes, we can do that. He's, he has put in us what we need to do that. We just have to let him work on us to get us to that point to where, okay, I'll do it. give somebody a testimony, but God tells you to go say hi to somebody and church comes in, involved in that. You know, sometimes that uh, at the restaurant the other day with one of the guys from our park and the girl had something I'm not, uh, I'm a lion or something like that on her shirt but couldn't read it all. And all I asked her, I said, what's the rest of your shirt say? And so she showed me and I said, that's got to be religious. And she said, yeah. I said, well, where do you go to church at? And her mom was saying, well, we're looking for a church. So I gave him our church card and stuff. But found out that she was originally from Flint, Michigan. <laughs> so, you know, so I asked her if she knew what flat riders had. So we had something in common there to talk about. Sure. And, and church came in, into it and you know, we don't know what we, you know, why, we, why God want me to talk to this person, but you, you, you find out that after you get done talking to him, like, okay, that's why God wanted me to do that. Well, and Brother Broman, you know what? Talking to people like that, that just comes second nature to you. You know, I don't think you know a stranger. No. But I tell you what, there's some other people that that would scare the daylight's out to walk up to somebody that they don't know and, and just start talking to them like that, they'd freeze. They'd be like, I gotta get out of here. What do you want the new door? <laughs> exactly, you know. And, and those times, you know, God can work on us. Uh, you, you probably wouldn't realize this about me, but when I was in high school, when I was in 10th grade, I went to Evans High. I hadn't gone to a public school, and so it wasn't like I had grown up with all of these people, you know, and went to middle school with them and all of that. So I was thrown into this, into this school, um, and I didn't know any of them. And so I would go to school every day, and I just wouldn't talk to anybody because I didn't know them. And I, at the time, I just didn't, I didn't feel comfortable. I was, man, I was, I wasn't shy, but I just didn't know these people, and I, I couldn't just walk up and start a conversation. I can today. But that took God doing that in me. Right? I found out years later, one of the people that I went to school with, they said, you know, everybody thought you were so stuck up in school, said, you're, you're not stuck up. And I said, no, I said, I was shy. I didn't know anybody. And they said, well, they never just thought you were stuck up. They were like, oh, guy didn't want anything to do with us. <laughs> if somebody would have approached me, I'd have talked to you. <laughs> but, you know, that's something that God saw in me. And he said, I'll fix that. Let me, let me chisel that away. Yeah, well, you know, a little bit, but 
God's working on that too, you know. <laughs> All right, last question. We have five minutes, so we'll make it quick. The ultimate test of obedience is what you do with the commandments of God that you do not understand. Any of y'all ever dealt with any of that? Um, you know, is there anything that, that, that God's dealt with you about where, you know, you didn't really understand the reason or the purpose? And, and God's saying, you know, listen, I want you to, and I want you to work on this, and you're going, I just don't, I don't know why, God. Why do you, why do you want that? Forgiveness is a big one. You know. I'll just forget about it. No, no, no. God says forgive. You know. Forgiveness is a big one. Um, you know, a, a, a lot of times, uh, <laughs> there, there's a lot of things that people struggle with, and, and and God's going, listen, just just trust me in this, and they're going. That don't make any sense, God. A lot of people struggle with, you know, with finances. You know, it doesn't make sense that if I give ten percent to God, that my ninety percent is going to go further than a hundred percent would. And God says, "Try me, trust me. Let me prove myself to you." And, and time and time and time again, you hear people that they go, "You know what?" I wasn't paying my tithes. I wasn't giving in the offering. I wasn't doing this. And then I was struggling. God dealt with me, and I didn't understand it. It didn't make sense, but God kept dealing with me. And so I trusted him, and I said, okay, God, I'll do it. And I, you know, I put uh, you know, $100 in the, in the offering, and you know, I, I walked out that, that week, and, you know, and, and somebody came up to me the next day and said, hey, you know, I, uh, I, you know, I just did this, or I just had this happen. I just... Thought I'm pressed to give you something, and they get a you know a hundred dollars back. They get you know two hundred dollars back. You know, or 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 you know something would happen. There'd be a check in the mail that would come unexpectedly. You know, there would be a you know they get a letter from their landlord saying you know um, I've decided that I'm gonna you know I'm gonna start covering the 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 lawn as part of your your rent. And so you know there's a you know a, a two hundred dollar a month blessing. You know, you don't have to pay for it. I'm just going to cover. You know, just things like that that would that would come up, and it's like, well, that didn't make any sense. But I, it took me just trusting God, and God proved that, yeah, He is faithful. It's like someone said one time. You know, if you take one step toward God, He'll take two toward you. And sometimes I think it's those little steps that we start taking in faith and what he's telling us to do or where he wants us to yield to him in our lives, that he, he shows up and he meets us right there. Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. I know uh, one of the areas that, you know, that I struggled with was fasting. I know y'all are, yeah, pastor, you like eating? eating. Well, I do. I do like eating. It's one of my favorite pastors. <laughs> But you know, I, I, you know, it's one of those things where in our mind we go, well, that's not rational. 
Why should I fast? What am I? I'm trying to convince God to do something. I can't. I can't. You know, I'm not going on a hunger strike to make God do something. That's not what the Word of God says. No, no, no. It's it's not about that. This isn't a lesson on fasting, but you know, I I had to I had to do some studying and and start understanding the reason for fasting. That it's not to try to convince God to do something. It's to get this flesh under control to where I can be obedient to God and and I can you know I can start acting in the right way, you know, and, and doing the right things that I, that I please God and allow the blessings of God to flow. Anyway. We've got to learn, and, and you know, it, this is not something that happens overnight. It, it took Michelangelo years to, to finish that sculpture. It takes God years to work in us and to to make us the masterpiece that he wants to make in us. But just know that there's a masterpiece that lies within each one of us. So, I don't know, maybe you need to you know, put this up on your bathroom mirror so every morning you can see it. But maybe you need to, you know, you need to write up there, I'm a masterpiece. Maybe you need to start looking at your, your, your spouse or one of your family members and saying, hey, you're a masterpiece. Because we are in God's eyes. Amen. 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 Lord bless you. Let's stand tonight. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you are working in us and that you are bringing us to the place where you want us to be, God, that we can be what you desire and what you have designed us to be, God. Lord, before sin worked its evil plan in us, God, Lord, you were bringing us back into the into the things and the place and the and your perfect will God we thank you for it I just pray that you'll continue to work in each one of us God making us the masterpiece that you designed us to be I thank you for it I ask this in Jesus name, Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Amen Lord bless you thank you for being here remember brother and sister Carver will be here Sunday and uh, we're, we're excited it's okay Oh yes, and don't forget offering. Oh, good, 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 good. Like a week over, right?